podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Jeremy Shear. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a digital content agency that helps you create a month's worth of content in just 60 minutes. So YouTube is a mysterious beast. At least it is to me. I mean, it's one of the world's most powerful search engines, And yet the vast majority of videos posted there get very little engagement, which might be just a little bit concerning if you spend a lot of time and money creating video content. But I think what keeps all of us on the video bandwagon is the vast potential for leveraging video and YouTube as a marketing channel. So my guests today, Matt and Ben Tompkins, who are co-founders of Two Brothers Creative and co-hosts of the Midwest Mindset Podcast, are here to help us demystify YouTube and to help us understand how to get the most value from YouTube as a marketing channel. So, Matt, Ben, welcome to the show. Great to have you guys. Thank you for having us. Yeah, Demystifying so, YouTube, we got a large order on our plate, Matt. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you can do it. I have faith in you. <laughs> You'll crack the code, no problem. So... Let's just start with kind of a, a, a big, broad question. In your guys' experience, what's the number one thing that marketers don't quite get about YouTube? I think big picture, people underestimate how big YouTube is. So we turn to Facebook, Instagram, even TikTok when we think social media platforms. YouTube is actually the number one social media platform on the planet. And it's oftentimes the second most visited website domain only behind Google, which owns YouTube. And I think we see it as this thing of the past and we don't really take for granted the opportunities that are real and significant. And I know some of those details we want to share today because we're very passionate about revealing those or demystifying it as you put it those details because you can directly monetize a youtube channel you can really have a tremendous impact on a small business i think every small business should have two things they're focusing on and that is a podcast like we're doing here today and a youtube channel because those are the two direct ways you can get new lead generation build your brand and also we'll we'll talk too about like how to really win the SEO game without writing a single word because YouTube is how you do that. And I would say the gradual nature of YouTube in that you are going to post a lot of videos that are not going to get any views and it takes a lot of time to build traction. That's the whole point. But once you start building that traction, then you start to see those rewards, but it takes a lot of bad view, a lot of bad videos or a lot of not bad videos, but videos just not getting a lot of views. And that's perfectly normal. Every single strategist out there on YouTube says the exact same thing that you're going to post a lot of videos at first. They're not going to get a lot of views. That doesn't mean it's not working is what I would say. Well, say a little bit more about that. I mean, because it would on the surface, you could only conclude, well, shit, I'm putting all these videos up there. No one's watching them. That sounds like a loss. You know, that doesn't seem like a win. So why is it that it takes a while? What should you be keeping in mind when you don't see the videos, you know, seeming to get a lot of views? I would say when you look at the algorithm, which Matt, I'm sure will add a lot of info here when it comes to algorithm, but think of algorithm, equate it to audience. So it is what YouTube is doing when it's trying to figure out the algorithm for your videos. It's trying to refine your audience and find your audience. 
mean, it just takes a while to do that. So if you're posting videos, number one, if you're not having an, an effective strategy when you're posting videos, that can hinder your ability to refine and define that audience. But it just takes a long time and a lot of videos to find that audience and then grow that audience. Because once YouTube finds it, it will grow it and you'll start to see those views pretty quickly once it finds that audience. It just takes a while to find that. The secret or the, this like added superpower that is what really makes YouTube exciting today is the addition of YouTube shorts. So when TikTok came onto the scene, they really changed the social media game with their algorithm, which is no longer a network-based algorithm where your content is only placed in front of your friends, followers, and fans. Now it's placed in front of a majority, about 75%, just completely strangers, new people, never, they're discovering you for the first time. And it's based on the, all based on engagement now. So who is most likely to engage with each video? So with mm. YouTube, you have YouTube shorts. And if you follow a strategy of, you know, there's a number of things you can do from the title, the description, the keywords or tags that you're using and setting the uh, geo-targeting, the location, et cetera. But if you do it every single day with a YouTube short and you, you only make these things 15 seconds or less, you can take your channel within just 30 days into the thousands of views. You stick with that strategy for the first three months. Look at the first three months as just data collection. So you're figuring out when are the right times to post videos. We use a platform called vidIQ, V-I-D-I-Q.com. It is very helpful as far as monitoring your subscribers and your audience. What are the other videos that they're into? So you can really fine tune this because you have to collect all these inputs, all this data. And you have to give yourself a large enough sample pool. So that's why you say like the first three months. And so, yeah, you're not going to get a lot of views on, on a number of videos. Like we will still have videos where we post. We get like 10 views. But those we are, don't all, those are all like, Matt's videos. By <laughs> those the way. are all and mine. All, all yeah. my videos are just in the, in the hundreds. In the hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> but you're going to have, you have to look at the average, right? So marketing as a whole, it is a slow move long-term game. All right. It's not a hunter mindset. We're going to go out and you're going to eat your dinner and you're going to eat tonight. It's planting a seed. You're going to nurture over the whole season so that this crop just keeps giving and giving and giving. And so if we're looking at this broad view and say, okay, over a year, even 18 months, like what is our long-term strategy here? And if we then start averaging this out, okay, yeah, you're going to have some views that videos that have 10 views, you're going to learn and fine tune. Okay. Maybe that's not the best subject matter. Maybe that's not the right time of day, but you're going to fine tune this process. And over the long haul, over that curve, you're going to get immediate return with the YouTube shorts. I can almost guarantee you that if you do it every single day, but if you stick with the overall strategy with long form, medium and, sh and short form content, you are going to see a very sharp uptick if you stick with it. Most people though, don't stick with it. Most people don't have the patience mm -hmm. for it. The ego gets hurt and we're like, ah, this is embarrassing. This isn't working. But if you can just kind of, I mean, eat it to a degree where it's like, hey, I'm gonna eat some crow here. I'm gonna set my ego aside. It works every single time that you stick with it. It's just that you have to have that discipline, well, uh, daily discipline. To, you have that, that discipline, but you also have to be able to no, okay, I need to learn from my mistakes. So you're posting every single day, first hundred videos, maybe don't get a lot of views, but each video you need to improve on or you need to refine. You can't just keep, you know, I'm going to schedule all these. I'm going to schedule three months of posts of videos and walk away. Yeah. You have to look at that data in order to get better, just like anything else. Yeah. Okay. So patience is key. Paying attention to the data and a little bit later, I want to get more into that. Like there's a lot of different kinds of data. So I want to talk about like exactly what are you looking for, especially starting out. But let's start with some really basic stuff. So like, you know, when you upload a video, the first thing it prompts you to do is give it a title, give it a description. 
right? And all of these things, every choice you make is significant in terms of how it's going to play with the algorithm, right? So let's just start right there with the title, the description. What are like some common mistakes people make and what should people be doing or at least thinking about when you're giving a title and a description? Well, before you even put in the title in the body, think about what you're saving the video as locally on your computer. So when you save that video file, I used to do this back in the day where we would have, we produced a television show. Even then I would just save it as like sketch number one, you know, and I would give it no thought. Well, you want to look at your title of the video that you save. There's metadata that's saved in that video, just like every photo. So you want to title it with intent. So let's say you're, you're doing a video here and it's like, you want to rank for the keyword, Jeremy's amazing hair. And so that's the keyword <laughs> phrase we're trying to rank for, right? So I'm going to type the title of this video, Jeremy dash amazing dash hair. And then if it's a short YouTube short, I'm going to put dash shorts and what that, then I can also add additional keywords and keywords are just words that you want to show up for in searches. So if it's hair, if it's, you know, could be bonsai trees, it could be whatever you want. So start with what you save the actual video file. That's a kind of a first common misstep or thing that gets skipped. When you upload it, YouTube's going to read the metadata and the title and it's going to say, okay, what is this? What is this video? And what is it? What does the content pertain to? And that gives it a healthy set of data points to start with. Then the other thing with the, the titles, you want to have those same keywords incorporated in the title of your video, give your video a sense of urgency. You don't want to get like clickbaity where it's like, you know, you know, unleash the power within, or, you know, some of those <laughs> cheesy titles we see, but you definitely want to include those keywords. So if my keyword is Jeremy's amazing hair, I want to have that in the title somewhere. And then the description YouTube likes lengthy descriptions. So do not leave the description blank. Use the keywords and a platform like vidIQ really helps you because it's got an AI writer. It's not the best AI writer, but it can help you as a starting point or a rough draft. It'll help you generate some title ideas and it'll also help you incorporate, you know, I think you, you can get up to like five or 10 keywords, phrases that you can include in your description. It'll kind of help write. So it's just a nice starting off point. You know, we recommend using AI as like your co-pilot, not don't ever let it be the pilot, but still it's a great tool to help you with these things because you want a lengthy description. And, and then also in the description, like tagging other channels and collaborating with them is something that you want to do as well. And I would say, I'm going to throw it back to my old uh, English teaching days, the fundamentals of just a strong hook. I mean, attention grabbing, not necessarily a sentence, more of like a headline form. One issue I think Matt and I are running into more and more. One problem is just with AI becoming such a powerful tool is that people are overusing AI to where you're seeing a lot of very, very obviously AI generated titles and descriptions. You want to avoid that as Matt was kind of alluding to there, use it as inspiration, use it as a tool, but don't lack that human aspect. Add some actual human voice to your description and your headline to make it, I think, stand out and just resonate a little bit more with actual people because you're that's who you're trying to get to watch your video are real people. And you just see so many of the same types of headlines, mm. unlock the secret, unleash this, so on, so forth, that it can just get just oversaturated. Okay. Wow. That's some really interesting information. I am guilty as charged of doing, making that mistake, Matt, that you mentioned, just uploading the video without thinking at all about the title I've given it in my inbox. It's just like clip yeah. one. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, what the hell? Who cares? I'll give it its own title on YouTube. But I'm like, I yeah. have no idea that that was a thing. Yep. So, yeah. okay, lesson learned there. 
And great point about AI too, right? It's like, it's so interesting how the pendulum has swung already, even just a few months in. When it, at first it was like, glory be, this yeah. is, mm -hmm. you know, we're never going to have to write anything again. And this thing is going to transform everything. And now it's like, yeah, never, ever use what AI writes without heavily editing it or, you mm -hmm. know, don't use it at all. Just, and that's so true, right? You can always tell when it's AI written, it just, there's something seems off or less than human or something. And as, as AI sits right now, I mean, this is a bit of a tangent kind of connected to what we're talking about, but I think it's a tremendous opportunity for creative writers, for people who have a, a strong writing skill to stand out. Because like you just said, you can yeah. tell the difference between a human written description or paragraph versus an AI one for the most part. So use AI as inspiration and use AI to help you, but don't, don't just set it and walk away. And yeah. one thing to consider is, is just remember it like this, the EAT formula. So EAT is an acronym and it's what Google uses is what they use to grade all content that they place anywhere in search results. So if you want to show up in a search result, your search engine optimization, SEO, if you want to show up in a video, all of it is the same basic algorithmic structure. And they are weighing these following things, just four things that spell out EAT, experience, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. AI cannot do any of those things. And so yeah. AI is great for like technical SEO. So like, okay, what are the keywords that are, you know, to optimize or what are the tags for this YouTube video? Fantastic tool for the technical side, but it can't do any of those things because it has no experience. It has no ex expertise. It is not an authority and it's not trustworthy because it doesn't have any human emotions. So I think you really want to make sure that yes, you're being technically sound and using AI as a tool, but then don't make the mistake because it will get recognized by, you know, they have mm -hmm. learning, learning patterns, learning machines that study this far closer than we human beings ever will. It, it is not that hard to point out content that was generated by AI. And with SEO for for videos or for written, you know, you're looking at a long game here organically of they say three to six months to see the ROI on a written blog. So you're going to put, okay, I'm going to let AI write all my content for months. And I'm not going to find out if it, that it didn't work until three to six months from now. And just think about like just the wasted time when all you really needed to do is just, you know, step in as the person and offer your experience and your expertise and just give it that extra layer of human beingness to invent a word that's going to help it stand out. Right. I mean, that's because that's what Google wants and that's what Google weighs the yeah. most. Yeah. And that goes for, it goes for YouTube and for everything, Google, mm -hmm. any, yeah. any social media, anything online really. Right. By the way, I just want to go on the record and say that you guys have nice heads of hair too. Oh, you know? <laughs> well, thank I you. mean, Ben, thank look you. at you have a nice mane and, and Matt, you got a kind of cool styled, you know, hair, but we could, if we were ever to create our own podcast, three of us, it could be three guys with pretty good hair. Three guys with pretty good hair. I think that that I we're going to get a pretty good audience right there. We won't, we won't have to. It won't take us three months to build up that YouTube audience. Yeah, that, it'll just that immediately like, take off. Right, three good dudes like do like hairdo. Oh, no, okay. Gosh. Well, Jeremy, it'll just be you and I on the show going forward, and has just lost his. his we'll get spot. back to you on that, Matt. Yeah, yeah that's really okay. Great. All right. I'll... Okay, so. Well, I have another question about the titles, actually. So whenever I upload a video and I'm writing a title, it always prompts me with hashtags, like right in the title. Hey, here's some hashtags you can use. Click here, use all of them. And I'm like, is that a thing? Is it good practice to put hashtags right in the title of the video? 
you can use uh, hashtags in the title. I think with hashtags on, on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and in this scenario, it's all kind of the same rule of thumb. And that is don't overdo it. If you put too many hashtags in any of those platforms, it's going to actually view your post as spam because it's going to mm. think that you're just trying to just get, you know, it's, it's going to think you're an advertisement or it's, you're not genuine, right? So two to three, four tops across like Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as far as hashtags. And yes, you can use hashtags in your title of your video. I would just make sure to make them count. I, I would encourage you to like hashtag shorts can be used, but if you overdo it again, I think that's going to have the opposite effect. We don't use a ton of hashtags in the, in the titles for our videos. I have seen it done. So I, I'm not going to really say like one way or another that we have a wealth of case study evidence to show that it's a difference maker, you know, a sizable difference maker. But, you know, I, I think that that's the usual general thumb I'd recommend is just don't overdo it. It's kind of like salt and pepper to your meal. It's like a little bit makes the meal mm. taste great, but too much is just going to ruin the whole thing. And think of like functionality also. Hashtag can be a punchline in so many cases. And if you're, if that headline, if there's some sort of hook and part of that hook is a punchline or part of that hook is the hashtag, as it's part of the the headline, then it's functional and it, it makes sense. But if you're just throwing it in there just to get keywords, extra keywords, yeah, that, then yeah it's yeah. going to backfire and not help you out as much. But if you can incorporate it practically into the title or into the um, headline, it, it can help you get traction on your video. Okay. Good point. I, I'm taking away from a lot of this stuff. Don't try to fool the algorithm or like fool Google. Like they, You're not smarter than the thousands of MIT engineers they have working on this. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's, you get a description and you're just hashtag, 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 you put as many keywords in there and it, it would be more effective if you just had two hashtags that were the mm -hmm. right hashtags that actually fit. Again, it's this idea of AI is going to solve all my problems. All the hashtags are going to solve all my problems or get me all the views. And it's just comes down to, you need to write a good description and you need to have quality videos and your audience will build if you do those basic things. So concerning the description, you've already said that Google, that YouTube likes longer descriptions, right? So don't leave mm -hmm. it blank. Okay. But what is long? Like how short is too short, let's say. And besides the length, what else are you going for in the description to give your video the best chance? So you definitely want to include those keywords that we've been talking about, which again, those are just phrases that are in your title that you want to rank for. So again, if we're talking about hair, you know, it's like men's hair or how to have great hair or whatever your keyword phrase may be. And you can have several of them. They, to find out like what keywords you should use, there's a lot of free resources out there. Like Google has a number of free resources. I would recommend business to take advantage of from like Google business profile to Google analytics, Google tag manager. Google Keyword Planner is one though. So if you just, if you Google Keyword Planner, it'll pull it up and you can punch in a keyword. You can actually see the search volume for any particular word on the internet on Google right now. And so that's kind of an easy starting point. There's some other free resources like Answer the Public is Neil Patel. Neil Patel is like a mm -hmm. SEO guru and he's got Answer the Public, which is kind of his free version of that. And then they have subscription models that he has. We use SimRush and as I mentioned, vidIQ. vidIQ is probably, if you're a YouTuber, that's where I would go. It's like 40 or 50 bucks a month and you get a really healthy supply of resources, including picking those keywords, you know, and those descriptions. It works as a, 
is a Chrome extension. So when you're in YouTube, you don't have to pull anything up separately. And then you just type in, all right, here are five keywords that I want to rank for that are related to my particular video. You type those in the little search bar, you hit generate description, and it'll generate an AI written description for you that incorporates all those things. Now, again, don't publish that as a final version. You need to go in and like write it, rewrite it. So it has your human touch, you know, I mean, we don't want to just pass off AI generated content, but that helps you, as I mentioned, like on the technical side, as far as like words though, I'd say like, you know, it could be anywhere from maybe 300 to 600 words is fine. I would just say you want to have enough to where it feels genuine. And by that, I mean, like, if it's just one sentence or a, there's nothing there, if there's just not enough substance there to make it feel like, yes, this is a person who has, you know, those things, experience, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness, then it's just, it's going to assume, well, if this person was all four of those things, they would have put in a lengthier description. And so mm. we just have to keep in mind that that the AI, we're writing these things for AI to get in front, put in front of people. And then we hope then we'd have to do things to get people to actually watch the video. One of those things is having just a lengthier description and then having a well-written description that includes those keywords. And having a kind of a boilerplate-esque close to that just has your information, your website, any other links, um, show notes. I mean, in our podcast, we have a lot of show notes. And when we have guests on, we include links and information for them, try to tag them on YouTube. And so that information more so at the bottom of the description, kind of like just a short news story, essentially. I mean, it's not necessarily broken up in that way, but that's kind of the length to where you're just given the, the essential information, dressing it up a little bit, and then having that boilerplate info at the bottom. Okay. That makes sense. Now I, I want to ask you if like, I kind of describe what I'm doing, like with the videos that I create from this podcast mm. and cause now I'm wondering, am I doing this wrong? So, you know, I write the show notes, right? And then just for the sake of efficiency, I kind of take the show notes, use that as the description for a video I put up with some changes, but not a lot. It's essentially the same thing. Is that bad or is that okay? So I would say it's good. Like you're kind of right in the middle. So like you're putting in there, I think it's enough to work, but if you wanted to take it a step further to really make it work, here's a little hack for you. So the reason, one of the reasons we love podcasts and as a content generating machine so much is because, okay, you just recorded this episode with us, right? So then you could take the transcript for this podcast episode, the written transcript, which I believe is generated here in the program you're, you're using mm -hmm. to record it, and then go to a platform like Google's Bard. So B-A-R-D, Bard is basically their version of ChatGPT. You could also use ChatGPT as well. It's nothing against ChatGPT. Just be minded that ChatGPT has no privacy or security protocols. So any information you input, anybody on the planet can then access so with proprietary company information, for example, uh, which they're currently being sued by like 50 corporations over. Yeah. But let's say you're using BART or you're using ChatGPT, just take the transcript, you paste it in and you say, hey, I want you to write me a, let's start with, write me a 1000 word blog article based on the content of this tra transcript. And I wanna rank for the following keywords, great hair, men's hair, Jeremy's podcast, and then boom, it'll generate that for you. And then you do it again. You say, okay, now I'd like you to take this and I would like you to write a, say, I don't know, 600 word YouTube description. Put that in there, it's gonna generate it for you. Uh, you could do the same thing with your show notes where tell it, hey, I want you to write show notes for the podcast based on this thing, X number of words. Or if you like writing your own show notes, you could take the show notes, dump it in there and say, I would like you to take this and turn it into a YouTube description that is X number of words. And then I would also like you to generate 10 options for YouTube titles. And 
Bard and ChatGPT is probably what 20, 30 bucks a month for the paid option, but Bard is free. So Bard is free. It's Google's platform. If you're going to use any AI platform, use the one that is controlled by the largest search engine that is out there. But that's, those are some like simple hacks and ways you can get around for free or for pretty reasonable kind of cheap uh, amount of money every month where you can get a lot of this kind of initial rough draft legwork done for you. And the cool thing is, is if it's a podcast, it already has that experience, authoritativeness, experience, expertise, and trustworthiness because it's your voice. So any content you have an AI platform create from that transcript is going to have those things that Google wants. And then you use the AI to polish the technical SEO side of it. Love that. Love it. So Let's talk. Okay, let's. Let, there, there's so much more we could talk about, probably just with the descriptions. <laughs> yeah. But I want to hit at least one more thing. So, geotagging. This is a term that that you told me about, Matt, when we did a little prep yeah. for this show. And I know what you're talking about. Like when you upload a video, there's all kinds of options, like little things that that are easy to overlook. Where did you record this? And the language, mm -hmm. and and all these little things. So, what is geotagging exactly, and why is it worth paying attention to? So this is really universal. I, I recommend checking those two boxes off any video you upload. So whether it's a YouTube short or a long form video, you're going to want to hit some of the things like the title description, like we talked about. You're going to want to enter as many tags, which is there's a section of tags, which is tags are just keywords. That's all they are. So you want to use as many tags as you can. I think you get up to 500. You're going to want to tell it, is this for children or not? Like that's one we all kind of get flagged. We have to check, right? So say, oh, yeah, no, this is for kids or yes, this is for kids, YouTube. And then you're going to get down to some of the other boxes that you're right. Normally we overlook. And for years, I personally overlooked these. So it's not, it, it, they're easy to overlook. But one of them is, what is the recording date and what is the recording location? So you may look at that and like, what's it matter? Has this ever aired on television? Does it have captions? Answer all of those things. And you, your recording date, even if you can't remember it, set a date. The important thing, though, is to set a recording location. And the reason is this. Even if it's a national audience, let's say you don't have a geo-targeted market, you still want to set that. Because what happens is if you have a Google business profile set up with your business and you type in your business in that location, it will pull up your Google business profile and you can select it. So like for us with two brothers creative, any video that we post, we type in, you know, two brothers creative, it pulls us up. Now, every single video we post on that channel that tags there, not only is it going to start by initially tagging our local market first and work out from there, but it's also going to give us SEO credit with our Google business profile. So for every single video that we're posting, as long as we're tagging our business, it sees us as, okay, this is the company, right? This is the company behind this. This is the business. And it's going to give us the credit. So we do that with all of our clients, like any, any episodes or podcast, any content, I should say that we upload, we try and tag them, even if they're not trying to geotag their specific market, which that's all that means is just tagging a geographic location, right? It's still beneficial because you're attaching it to a specific business profile mm -hmm. on Google, which is what Google wants you to do. And it's just, it adds that sense of authenticity of this is a real company. <laughs> yeah. This is a real person. This is a real place. And the more specifics that you can give SEO in general, but especially YouTube, the more likely it's going to build that audience. Like we kind of talked about in the beginning that you just want to give Google or whatever you're on, whatever platform as much information that you are a real credible place. You are that authoritarian on your topic. And those little things, even though they can seem like just little small, tedious things, they can make a big difference, especially when you spread it out over that three to six month period, like we talked about. So I think the next important question is, 
will our good hair podcast be for children or not? I'm saying no. <laughs> oh, no boy. Way. Well, I don't know. You do not want your kids, kids to want to, to listen right. to this. Even I, though I think no. kids YouTube makes the most amount of money out of well, any YouTube platform. They did. They probably did, unethically. They, they changed the rules. <laughs> yeah. They changed the rules a couple years ago. Those. And so, yeah, they, they used to make a ton of money. I used to produce a kid's YouTube show, so that's how I know this. It used to be the rules where there was just this massive amount of money being made on kids' YouTube, but then they changed the rules where you can't run ads. So it was very limited ad placement. And so all of a sudden, mm. like, you know, millions and millions of dollars just evaporated overnight right. because of those new restrictions. So it depends. You know, like if we want to target a, an audience of kids and we, we just want to do this pro bono, then, yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. So no, it will not be for kids. That's <laughs> no. So, no, no, no. You don't want your children listening to this. Actually, right. of all the videos I've ever posted, the one that got by far the most views, still not a, still not a lot, like for real YouTubers, got like like a hundred thousand or so. But it was a I wrote and recorded a little song and made hmm. a little like animated video about how to use commas because I used oh, to no. teach I used to teach writing and I had this idea once to. And I'm a songwriter and, and everything. So I'm like, maybe I can make like educational songs and videos about like yeah. writing and stuff. And I did it really just for fun. But that one in particular caught on. That one actually is for children. And I think that that's another big takeaway with this. And I know sometimes just based on the, the subject matter, it can be difficult. But adding that sense of creativity and overall quality and authenticity. I mean, when you mm -hmm. are real and when it, the quality is there, audiences will find quality videos. I think Mr. Beast, who's obviously a huge YouTuber, yeah. he says that a lot of times when you're not getting a lot of views and if you're implementing these things, you have to stop and ask, are your videos good? Mm. <laughs> I mean, that is a factor. You have to ask yourself. And that goes back to the improving on each video too. Your first video is going to be terrible. Your second video is going to be terrible, especially if you're just getting into this sort of thing. But you have to be able to learn from your mistakes and get better and improve the quality, stay consistent, have patience, and not let AI do everything for you. Yeah, good point. I mean, there's there's so many moving parts and pieces to this. I can see how you can get so caught up with pleasing the algorithm that you forget mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, the actual content needs to be good. Yeah, Whatever yeah, good yeah. means, that can mean a lot of different things depending on your audience, right? But as you're saying, you, you'll learn what good means over time if you're paying attention. Right. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of which, you get a lot of data from YouTube, just like from all these uh, channels. And it can be a little overwhelming and confusing, you know, to look at the analytics and just be like, I don't even know what to look at. For people who are not experts in this already, but you want to know what's going on and learn from the data, where, what's a good starting point? Well, I would say like probably my biggest note or suggestion would be to be able to see the forest for the trees. We have to be able to step back and not focus in on like even week to week metrics is a, is a common misstep. So we have a lot of clients with SEO and web analytics, which are similar to your YouTube analytics. There's just a massive amount of data that you can pick and choose from. And, you know, we had a situation recently where a client's website visits had gone down by like half and we had refined a bunch of different things and the messaging and the copy. And they were like freaking out, hitting the panic button, like, Oh my God. And I said, well, hold on. Like, what, it doesn't really matter how many people visit the site. What matters is how many qualified people that we wanted visited the site. Yeah. And then we looked at the conversions, which were 
almost triple what they were before the website. So it had been redone. And so what we want is it's like a mass number of views that do you no good or visitors that do you no good? Or do you want a very highly effective select group of people that do do you a lot of good? And so it was easy to look at that week to week and hit the panic button. But when we step back and look at a big picture, that's really how you want to approach your analytics. So you really want to look, I, I recommend like, yes, you want to follow it week to week, but really don't compare anything until you're at least a month month to month. And then really quarter to quarter is really going to be your, your best analytics. And so that's why you really want to like give it the time it needs. And then as far as like the actual analytics that you want to look at, I mean, like watch like how much of these videos are people watching? Like when are they bouncing? Because the time of day is a big one. When you post a video, like for two weeks, just post it every single day, a short at the exact same time. So you can measure is this the right time? A program like vidIQ will help you define when the high peak hours of view time is with your subscribers. So that is another kind of helpful asset there. But even if you don't have that, you really got to do some trial and error and figure out what the best time is. But take that step back, look at the big arc of things. You want to look at like, okay, how much time do they watch in a video before they bounce? Because it'll give you that average so you can see. And then you can refine the length of the content as well. And so as you start to refine these different things, you have to commit to a certain amount of time period just to get an accurate kind of measurement, if you will, on the metrics. And so, okay, I'm going to do videos that are eight minutes every single time, you know, twice a week, I'm doing eight minute videos, then I'm doing daily shorts that are 20 seconds. And I got to do it for two straight weeks. So I have any sort of accurate measurement. And then I got to look at it and say, okay, that didn't work here. That did work here. And just kind of refine it from there. Engagement is really what every social platform, including YouTube is, is weighed on. So I would really focus on the engagement versus just the view count. One thing you can actually do this, this, not to sound like a spokesperson for vidIQ, but it is one of their cool features where you can go to any competitor's YouTube channel and with just a click of a button, you can download a CSV file of every single video your competitor has ever posted. Then you can rank it in that CSV file descending by the views, like total views. So one analytic mistake is to just look at the view count and not look at the likes. What you really want is you want to figure out, you can do this as an equation, as a formula in Excel or CSV file where you take the views and the likes and you just do it as a formula. And then you can figure out what is the actual, the accurate measurement you want. What is the videos with the highest views to likes ratio? So the videos mm -hmm. with the most views and the most likes, because here's the, the truth. Like you can buy YouTube views. I, I could go now and I could buy a hundred thousand views for, you know, probably a hundred bucks or so. It's not super expensive. They're all going to come from some country in Asia. It's not going to line up. It's going to screw up my analytics, but to my competitors, you know, you could see this Jeremy, you could be like, Oh my God, Matt just got a hundred thousand views. He must be doing something right. I'm going to do what he does. Yeah. And, but we don't look at like, well, how many likes did that video get? Right. Mm. So unless I'm also buying likes to go along with it, it's not going to line up. So that's why following that, that's kind of the, the main thing. Like how, how much of each video do people watch? How engaged, what is the engagement percentage with that video? How engaged are they with the content? And then the views to likes, that ratio, that's really kind of the, the three kind of top leading indicators I, I would follow. And of course, you can get into a lot of the weeds with all kinds of other analytics with your channel, demographics and things like that. But those are kind of the a good three kind of basic starting points, I think. I think if you look at it, anything that takes effort on the part of the viewer is kind of gold for your metrics. So them sitting there and watching a full minute opposed to three seconds, and it's taking effort on the part of the viewer sitting there going through it. So that or the effort it takes to like a video, they're going out of their way 
to like something, to make take that action. So if it's if you're getting a lot of things that are taking effort on the part of the viewer, that's good. It takes a long time to get those, but those are really good metrics to kind of live by. Wow. Well, that's a lot to digest. I'm I'm learning a ton. I just got to say, I'm learning a, a ton about YouTube that I never really considered. So how can people connect with you guys? What's the best way to stay in touch? Yeah. Our website is thecontentbox.com for our company. And and honestly, we, you know, the the premise of our, our podcast, Midwest Mindset, as you mentioned at the beginning is it's kind of this definition of what it means to be a Midwesterner that we've kind of come up with or put together. And that is to help other people without expecting anything in return. And we feel that in the world of business, this ironically ends up having the highest return of all. It's something that I think is, it's not unique to Omaha alone, but it's really what has defined Omaha's most successful entrepreneurs. And it's what has defined our success and the success, success of our company. Ben and I did this in radio and broadcasting for 17 some odd years doing favors, helping people, never really expecting for that to come around to benefit us in any way like it is today with our company where people want to come do business with us. And we apply that to helping anybody. So like if you're any listener was, and wants assistance, we us sharing this information here today, I have no problem sharing and helping because I feel like there were people that shared and helped me. And so there's no, there's no lock and key on this information. It's not secret, you know, the real secret or the real trick is what are you going to do with it? That part we can't control. Like who are the people who are going to actually take this knowledge, want to learn and grow and actually apply it to their own situation? That's really the difference maker. But we're happy to help in any way that we can. We do a lot of free strategy calls and stuff like that. Or if people have questions about any of the equipment and I could probably send this to you, Jeremy, you could put this in the show notes, but it's kind of a yeah. list that I keep track of, of just all of the free and, and paid subscription services and just across the board for everything from podcasting to, uh, you know, the ones we've mentioned here today on the show, a lot of free ones, a lot of kind of next to nothing kind of cheap ones and, and some other ones that are a little higher price, but a lot of the, the tools that we use, happy to share that with you here as well. And our hair care routine. <laughs> yeah, also, yeah, our hair care routine. Put that in the show notes. <laughs> of course. Of course. Well, please send me as many pictures as you can from different angles yeah. of your hair right, yeah. and the different hair products and all that. Well, thank you guys so much. This was a lot of fun. And like I said, hugely informative. I think there's so much, there's so much we can all learn about not just YouTube, but all these platforms. But you know, mm -hmm. YouTube is such a powerful engine. It's so important to know what you're doing or at least make some inroads. So thank you both for a great discussion. Well, thank you for Absolutely. having us. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.